Welcome to episode two of the Sprinkly Sports Podcast. I am one half of your dynamic hosting duo, Tank, and joining me just like every week is the big homie Sprinkle. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a fine Wednesday, last day of the month. How are you doing, Tank? Yes, sir. I'm doing great. So we're here to do an instant recap of game one of the NBA Finals between the Heat and the Lakers. What are your initial thoughts following the game? Well, my initial thoughts following the game is there's one amazing man playing basketball right now, and that man is... LeBron James. It seemed like every minute they were mentioning LeBron James is this close to another triple-double. LeBron James is number one in this stat. He's number one in this one, that one, and another. LeBron James has been playing basketball at such a high level for the last couple of years that it doesn't even real we don't even realize as fans how quick he is racking up these stats. Yeah, LeBron is close to being the all-time leader in basically everything. And what I noticed was they started the game, Jimmy, Jimmy Buckets and LeBron, they were matched up on both ends of the court. And it looked like Jimmy had the advantage early. He seemed to be more aggressive. Uh, he was going right at LeBron. But after that initial run, the Lakers basically took over the entire game. Yeah, I saw at one point there midway through the third that the Lakers won something like a 75-30 to 30 run after being down 13 early. Yeah, and that's completely nuts. It it looked like basically after the first quarter, the Lakers took over and the Heat just started dropping like flies. Yeah, watching Goran Dragic go down with what was, I believe, a knee injury or a left foot injury, seeing uh, Bam Adebayo strain his shoulder, Jimmy sprain his ankle, and then coming back in the last couple minutes, it was so crazy on the Heat side. Yeah, it it just looked like basically besides the first quarter, the Lakers were just dominant. Um, You know, Hero, I thought, came out and was overly aggressive. And I actually think the turning point in the game was Frank Vogel decided to, despite being down 13 early, Frank Vogel decided to give LeBron his normal rest. And I I put that down in my notes, and I thought that was just an excellent bit of coaching. It showed that they weren't panicking at all. Um, It would have been really easy at that point to, you know, keep LeBron in the game, uh, push, you know, and and kind of really fight for that that game one at that point. But he took LeBron out at the the five-minute point, and the bench just kind of uh, took over, honestly, for the Lakers. Yeah, that bench mob has been uh, doing great in these playoffs when carried by uh, or when um, out there with Kevin or Anthony Davis. Um, mm-hmm. All that uh, AD played the whole first quarter of this game, which I don't know if I was noticing early in the last round. I think he did game. I'm not sure about games one and two of the Western Conference Finals. But uh, when AD's out there, I mean, him and the bench, it probably feels like the same old days in New Orleans. Just give him the ball and uh, see what happens. Yeah, I do think that's normal rotations. I think AD does normally play the whole first quarter. Uh, But that's actually 
that tends to be a weak point in the Lakers rotation when LeBron comes out. I know during the regular season, that was definitely a weak point, but AD and Rondo do seem to be bringing that Pelicans connection to the Lakers here. And Caruso played really well as well on top of uh, KCP was had, I think eight points in the first quarter. Yeah, no, it was really weird to see that the uh, role players were the ones popping off to start. Jay Crowder seemed to shoot like two of three to start from three. And then a, KCP was leading the game and scoring there early, even though they were down. It was it was interesting to see how it started, but uh, as the game went on, it finished with how we'd expect. Uh, LeBron closing in on nearly another triple-double in the finals. You know, that's that's just light work for him at this point. It just seems to be the normal. Yeah, if he plays more than 37, 38 minutes, you kind of expect to see him doing 30, 10, and 10. Yeah, like, and... And I think what happened, too, when the bench came in was that the Heat went small and the Lakers went small at the same time. But it, it seems to be something different when you can go small with someone who's, you know, 6'9", 6'10", and should basically be playing center versus the Heat went with, you know, Solomon Hill got minutes early. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. got minutes early. Iguodala got minutes early, and none of those guys could handle AD in the in the post. And something that happened to coincide with uh, LeBron subbing out that we failed to mention is um, Bam Adebayo had two fouls early there in the first, which yeah. probably had an impact on the rotation. I, I have gone small that small that early. Yeah, because Solomon Hill, I I noticed. I think Jeff Van Gundy said it in the, the third or fourth quarter once it was starting to get towards garbage minutes. And this didn't even happen in the first half when he came in. Solomon Hill scored his first points of the playoffs tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he was playing in the first quarter. Yeah, that's a true role player. You know, I think there's a few games versus the Celtics where he was the only, he was the eighth guy off their bench. And I say that with quotes around it because, uh, he was getting something like eight, ten minutes, and it was just like minute or two here, fill the gap in the rotation. Minute or two here, here, fill the gap, play some defense. He's yeah. just a body at some points in that rotation. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that the the Lakers decided to go with Dwight Howard to start the game. I'm not sure if that contributed to the early deficit. Uh, what do you think about that decision to go with Dwight Howard over Javale McGee? Well, truth be told, I mean, I would go with neither of them and go with Kuzma and really make AD play some five early. I mean, even in that lineup, they're still bigger in the front court. Him and LeBron are still bigger than Bam and Jay. So if the decision really became wide, do I think Dwight uh, will run against him? I would say no because it was uh, defending Bam and Bam really scored once on the fake handoff and then just kind of attacked. But for the most part, he was doing his job out there defensively. Yeah, I I think I like starting Dwight only if the Heat are going to continue with Bam at the five because you get an initial mismatch with Jay on AD and I don't I don't think Jay Crowder can can handle AD at all. And then if you were to switch Bam onto AD, which, you know, going into the series, I thought that was going to be the critical matchup. Uh, if you leave Jake Carter on, on Dwight Howard, it 
feels like the Lakers are just going to have full control of the offensive glass. Yeah, there was a time during the game they uh, even pointed out, I mean, Dwight Howard had zero points and eight rebounds. He's just being biggest, strongest guy on the board, on the court. Just, hey, I'm not the number one no more. I'm here to play defense and get rebounds and then uh, run the court sometimes. He's doing a great job filling his role this these playoffs for sure. Yeah, that's definitely been a huge plus for the Lakers that he's been able to do that. I think, you know, going into the season, we all kind of laughed at the Dwight Howard signing, and he's ended up being someone who's been crucial for them in the playoffs. Yeah, I remember the signing. I wasn't really laughing so much at the signing after uh, DMC got hurt. I kind of was laughing at the number choice, and I still see it, and I'm just like, I don't know why Dwight chose 39. I know 3 plus 9 equals 12, but that's such a – such a weird logic for a number change this late in his career. Yeah, but that's that's kind of just who Dwight is at this point. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> um, what do you expect to see going forward? I mean, we can get our projections on a record here. I mean, we've set them in other places already, but we might as well get them out there. What do you expect to see? Uh, I think I still am going to roll with Lakers in six. Uh, I had the Heat winning game one. Mostly because LeBron, uh, despite you know making to the finals nine times, he had been one and eight in game ones in the finals, only winning against the Mavericks, which he lost that series obviously in two thousand eleven. Uh, so I'll just shift my prediction to the Heat winning games two and five, um, but I'll still roll with Lakers in six. First off, just that stat about LeBron in playoffs. I, there's some franchises in the finals. That was nine times. That's so amazing. Um, before the series started, I really mm-hmm. I had hoped we'd hope just, you know, the scrappy underdog side to see the Heat in six. Realistically, if I was having to make a projection and I'd stick with the um, Lakers in five, they've done it the last three rounds. They might lose one, but uh, – it's going to be real hard beating LeBron two times at any point in the series. Yeah, he looked he looked locked in tonight. AD looked locked in. KCP was rolling. Danny Green, I think, either hit his first or second three, which was a surprise. Uh, as someone who, who thinks he plays kind of like Danny Green, I like to see that. <laughs> uh if the Lakers play like this, the Heat are going to be in for a, a very long series. Yeah, it, I saw somewhere online already that they're saying Dragic might be out for the series. So, I mean, Lakers in six could easily be Lakers in five, and Lakers in five could easily be Lakers. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you there. I thought Dragic was going to be uh, crucial because the, the Heat have a lot of guard play between Dragic, Hero, Robinson, guys who come off screens, both with the ball and without the ball. And the Lakers obviously are are a lot more forward heavy um, in terms of their three best players basically all play the four. Um, and so without Dragic, it's, to me, it is almost a lost call, lost cause, excuse me. Um, I, you know, if Dragic is out the whole series, I could easily see it being four or five for sure. Yeah, what a what a solid player, how it changes the series and how it changes the outcome potentially. But uh, we'll see how it goes looking forward. Yes, sir. Hey, thank you for 
the initial recap of game one of the NBA Finals. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll get into some football and some more basketball. Take a quick ad break, and we'll be right back into it. All right. Welcome back to the Sprinkly Sports Podcast. So now that we've, you know, had a, a little time to, you know, maybe go back and watch over the game from last night, how do you think the Heat adjust for game two against the Lakers? Well, I mean, now that we have an update on the injuries, I think the big adjustment is um, finding a way to split that play playmaker role. I mean, Kendrick Nunn's really going to have to step up. You're probably going to see uh, young Tyler Hero and J- uh, Jimmy Butler being more facilitators. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't make up the production of your arguably third best player, but uh, right now, a torn plantar fascia is going to be something hard to play through, knowing that he's got to turn around and play less than 48 hours after the end of the last game. So it'll be interesting playing down a, one of their best players for sure. Yeah, I think – I saw that Dragic is going to be completely out for the rest of the series. So you're right. A lot of it's going to fall on hero. None maybe could be back in the starting lineup. Uh, Jimmy's going to have to be a big primary ball handler for them. And uh, Bam is going to have to stay out of foul trouble for sure. If Bam's a hundred percent. Yeah. He needs to stay out of foul trouble. I would say that. Two fouls in the first quarter last game was uh, a little a little bit ticky-tack for a finals game, but uh, if the rest called it and they saw it, I mean, it's a call you got to make. But, yeah, he's going to have to need to stay out of foul trouble and um, play as close to 100% as possible going forward. Yeah, those are just – you're not going to get the superstar calls or no calls at this point in, in his career that AD and LeBron are going to get. And speaking of AD, I thought the big thing – before the game got totally out of hand was what's interesting to me about the Lakers is that despite being the bigger team, they also are the faster team. They're just beating the heat down the court. AD is, is rim running right away. And then you've got those hit ahead passes from LeBron and Rondo. uh, And they're able to get cross matches in transition. And AD was just cooking them with that the entire first half. Even in a semi-transition, I noticed it towards the end of the Western Conference Finals. They might have been doing it before, but uh, they just started putting AD on free throws. He just st- stood at the opposite. Um, LeBron and Dwight or LeBron and JaVale would just box out. Obviously, you know, the center took a step back. LeBron would catch it, and we've seen a couple of those 50-, 60-foot passes where LeBron catches a free throw, and he just turns and lets it go. And AD is already on the block posting up against a smaller guard. It's a, it's a good concept. I mean, even Bam's smaller than him, but if you can get him a mismatch on a two or a three, he's going to eat, especially when there's no one else on that half of the court. Yeah, and they're able to really take advantage of the fact that having LeBron play pseudo point guard, you know, they, they have positional size at every position. You know, they start two guards, air quotes, in Danny Green and Caldwell Pope, who I think are both six five or six six, LeBron is six mm-hmm. nine, you know, is is basically almost the same size as Bam himself. And then when you throw a center in there, there's no need for AD to fight for those rebounds. So he can, you know, on a free throw, not be in there or 
just in the regular flow of play, he can leak out without having to worry about the heat punishing them on the offensive glass. Yeah, no, the having the size advantage sure does help because as we're seeing, um, uh, roughly six seven Jay Crowder playing four, uh, you're getting some cross matches and they're willing to switch a lot of stuff. So we are seeing um, Bam play on LeBron, who's a, I guess a relative, like you said, equal height player. But uh, when you switch a six seven Jay Crowder onto um, AD, which they were looking for early in the game, I mean, you'll see what happens. He's either gonna just face up and shoot over or give him a couple back down dribbles and uh, put him in the turn over that left shoulder and just put it in the basket, right? Yeah. Get to the rim and dunk it. Yeah, exactly. They're just bullying him down there. So I think we're going to see more Myers Leonard, Kelly Olynyk, uh, with or without Bam. I think those two guys are going to have to play at least a little bit uh, because, you know, I'm not sure they can even start Jay Crowder in the next game, or if they do, they got to play him at, at three and they are, they might just have to start a center. Yeah. If they're forced to go a little bit bigger, it'll be interesting. I mean, the stat that I was, I've seen is um the group that played the most minutes for them included Kendrick Nunn and, uh, and um, Myers Leonard. Now they're almost forced to go back to that um, lineup here in the playoffs. I mean, if that's what got them to the playoffs, maybe it'll work in the finals. I mean, you'd hate to see a, a coach switch in his game for, because of injury and not because he wants to. So that'll be interesting. I could definitely see a Bam Myers-Leonard starting lineup one of these games. Not saying they'll run it more than three, four minutes before seven one of them out, but uh, starting big would definitely give them a chance to, uh, you know, try a different start of the game and try different lineups and get different matchups early and see how they like those. Yeah, luckily for them, that is – the lineup they started, you know, basically 90% of the regular season with. So they're not necessarily being forced into going into lineups that they're not familiar with, but they aren't lineups that they've been playing in the playoffs so far. Yeah, I mean, and then we got to remind ourselves regular season was seven months ago now. Um, these ro- The rotation is going to be different for sure without having Dragic in it, so even if they go back to the same starting lineup, how does the rotation look? I mean, he's got a day and a half to fix it. Spo does, but uh, if you change up your starters, you're going to change up the rotation. And when you're one of your top four or five players is out and another one's playing at 80, 85%, you could see a drastic drop off. And it's not like the Lakers didn't handle that game last night. So we could be in for a, a shorter series than we expected based on these injuries. Yeah, definitely. So, Speaking about coaching, uh, Doc Rivers, quote-unquote, mutually parted ways with the Clippers after becoming the only coach in NBA history to blow multiple 3-1 leads. So who do you think the Clippers should hire to replace Doc Rivers? Um, It really depends on what they plan on doing going forward. If they want to keep the same two stars they have in Kawhi and PG, I would say do something as simple as just grab Ty Lue. They already have him as the assistant coach there. Um, Hold on to him and just uh, promote him to head coach. He's a championship level coach. Obviously you brought him in because they thought they'd play LeBron in the finals and they'd uh, wanted that extra hand of having a former coach. So I think um, Ty Lue would probably be one of the better fits for that type of defensive team just for familiarity purposes. And um, obviously we want to see, more qualified black coaches get their jobs back. So 
Ty Lue's who I'd like to see for the Clippers, and I think he fits pretty well right now. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think Ty Lue is probably the guy for that job. Um, he's obviously been linked to almost any job that's been opening up. But <clears throat> something tells me that because we haven't really heard him interviewing for any of these other jobs, he, he might have kind of a hush-hush, wink-wink agreement with the Clippers already where you know they maybe will bring a couple other guys in for interviews. But I do think they'll end up landing on Ty Lue for that job. And I um looking into it, I mean, he was let go three days ago. It was uh the way it comes out in other articles out by ESPN is um Balmer apparently, according to the reports, went and talked to uh PG and Kawhi. Not saying that is or isn't true, but uh the day after the playoffs or after the uh, Clippers were eliminated, it was kind of presumed, at least by me, that he would just be back. I mean, Doc Rivers is better than probably three-fourths of the starting coaches. He's probably a top-seven, top-eight coach. So uh, two days after they get eliminated to see him fired as a result of the ownership and not the management is kind of peculiar in this situation. But uh, Steve Ballmer bought that team fairly recently, and he's had the same – he's been with Doc the whole time, so maybe he wants to finally be like, this is my franchise. Let me make a change. So it's going to be interesting seeing how it goes forward. Yeah, I, I'm surprised they let Doc go too – you know, some of his rotations were weird. I thought Montrez played a little bit too much once it was clear that he absolutely could not do anything defensively with Jokic. Their plus minus in his minutes was atrocious. But despite thinking that Ty Lu is one of the better people for this job, it's interesting, you know, to have a coaching change where you're saying that's the problem. But then you bring one of the assistant coaches who is already on staff in to be the head coach. It makes you wonder if maybe Ty Lue was saying something and Doc wasn't listening uh, because, in theory, your associate head coach is going to have a lot of say. So if those adjustments aren't being made, wouldn't that also fall on Ty Lue? Yeah, I mean – when you intentionally bring him in to give you feedback for you, I, I like I said, one specific person in LeBron, I mean, maybe he's not saying much in some of those other games, and he's like, hey, I don't want to step on your toes. We both, we're both championship head coaches, so he could have stepped back because uh, before the season started, former head coach like we saw at the Lakers or when they brought in Jason Kidd they were on a big market I mean Ty Lue is probably like if I just sit back and stay quiet sometimes there's less drama and I just really want to focus on the play I mean they got a their best player is a no social media no nonsense guy so maybe they try to echo what worked for him and uh, help him feel more comfortable in a new city and uh, being back in a bigger market after playing in San Antonio and uh, Toronto maybe just taking the limelight letting Doc lead as a uh, what Ty was doing and um, didn't give enough feedback. But I do agree with your point. Like if you're on the staff and the whole team fails, you're partially responsible in some way. So now that Doc Rivers isn't there, do you see him finding a landing place uh, with this slate of coaching jobs that are still available? You have the Sixers, the Rockets, uh, the Pelicans job is available. The Thunder job is available. Do you see him landing with any of those teams this year? 
Um, absolutely. I mean, like I already said, there's maybe five or six coaches right now better than Doc Rivers in the league, and that's pretty pretty much amongst the consensus. Like, you got your coaches who are currently playing, and I would maybe even argue Frank Vogel is not a better coach than Doc Rivers. Um, but Doc Rivers is definitely probably the best free agent coach right now. Uh, if it's between him and Mike D'Antoni, I'm going to take the guy who won the championship and uh, didn't try to overly revolutionize basketball. I could see uh, Doc. I, I've seen in writings and reportings that Doc Rivers and the 76ers are super close to an agreement. Um, obviously, Mike D'Antoni's name's been floated there too, but uh, I could definitely see Doc Rivers taking over the um, taking over the Sixers and doing something great with it. That just seems like the type of yeah, team he would I really, really like vibe with. The idea of Doc Rivers in Philly as opposed to D'Antoni, uh, especially considering the type of teams that D'Antoni's had success with, none of them look like the Sixers. You know, the Rockets, the Suns, uh, those are all uh, small or fast-paced teams. And in Philly, they got, you know, a lot of guys who can't shoot very well and a lot of guys who are real big. And that's not necessarily D'Antoni's MO. Yeah, we've seen on the teams where he's truly gone big some some pretty bad results, I mean. When he had James White, uh, James Harden and Dwight on the same team, it was like, oh, this looks really good on paper. But uh, Dwight Howard's a true big man. He's not running up and down the court like that for 35, 36 minutes a game. And right now we know Joel Embiid's got him by three, four inches. So I don't think it doesn't make much sense from a coaching standpoint to have your second or best player uh, running free throw line to free throw line because he's too gassed to make it uh, post to post. So I don't think that type of pace would work with a true center. I know there's only like four or five quality ones left in the league, but uh, you really don't want to run, run, run guy on your team when your two yeah, best players are quote-unquote bigs. When D'Antoni was in L.A., it was Dwight Howard again, you know, with Steve Nash and Kobe, and granted they had a lot of injuries, but, you know, that was viewed as a massive failure there. Yeah, I mean – as a Knicks fan, seeing what he was kind of able to do with uh, New York on his way out, where he was just like, I don't care if it makes Melo mad, you're going to play mostly four. And Melo led the league in rebounds for a small forward just because, hey, we're going to put you in a position to get more rebounds. You're going to run when we need you to run. You're going to be a ball handler, similar to how LeBron's being used, obviously not at that level. But um, when you can put your best player as a shooter at the four and then you just have a essentially a, a stretch four playing five, you get the spacing and you get the speed yeah. you want. The other guy I've like seen his. floated for Philly and a handful of other jobs is Jeff Van Gundy making a return from the booth into the NBA ranks. What do you think about him in Philly? Or I've also heard him rumored to the Clippers. Um, well, Van Gundy, it, he's an interesting one because I feel like in terms of PR-wise – as long as I've been aware, the last five years, every opening Van Gundy's mentioned, whether it's Jeff or Stan, they're just like, these guys have stayed around basketball. They're good enough to get head coaching jobs. But after a while, you stay away from the game so long. I mean, you'd rather – and it seems like he'd rather be a broadcaster than a coach because it seems a lot more relaxed if he he's had opportunities to come back and he hasn't taken them. Obviously, these are some high-quality teams with some high-caliber players available. Um, on them, but uh, I 
don't really see either of the Van Gundys coming out. I would like to be wrong so we can get a mix up and a little more of an older approach. But um, I don't see many of the, or I don't see uh, Jeff or Stan Van Gundy um, yeah, taking I one agree. of these jobs and right now. I think I think Stan Van Gundy is liking being in the booth. I think Jeff likes being in the booth, and I particularly think he loves his role with USA Basketball. I think he really enjoys working with those younger teams. Yes. You know, they're technically the senior teams, but, you know, they're the, the lower-level guys who, who do the qualifying tournaments. And he works with a lot of, you know, G League guys, overseas guys. And I, I think he just loves that role, like, you know, working with, with a lot of players who don't always see the spotlight, but they're hard workers. They go out there and, you know – they just grind it out. Yeah, those on the bubble guys are a lot more fun to develop. And I mean, you don't got to deal with the superstar ego of picking up one of these playoff bound teams, no matter who the head coach is next year, just based off talent. So, I mean, hard workers, no attitude guys are probably a lot better to work with. It's more behind the scenes, but uh, on the national level, he is reinforcing that. USA is number one for years to yeah, come. Does, so I like that. Really good stuff there. Let's transition over to football now. Uh, we got a few games we want to go over. Let's start with what was the big marquee matchup of the week, Ravens versus the Chiefs. What did you see in that game? The Chiefs were able to, I think, pretty handedly take care of the Ravens. Um, so what are some of your notes from that game? <clears throat> Uh, the Chiefs are a great example that uh, a team, obviously they're the best team in the league, they're the reigning champs, they're undefeated, first in their conference. Um, but they're a great example of uh, the NFL schedules and how NFL matchups work. I mean, they play a, a super, super close game against a division rival who didn't make the playoffs last year and was hardly competitive last year. And then they go and handle, like you said, handle the second best or the best team from last year in the regular season and the reigning regular season MVP. They uh, get out early. And uh, once the Ravens kick that field goal, instead of even trying for a touchdown in the first possession, you kind of already have an idea. Um, unless you're getting two or three stops from the, uh, of the chiefs. I mean, you can't trade threes for seven. That just does not work for them. It's an expectation. A bad game for them is 28 to 33 that's a good game for 85% of the teams in the league right now. If you can't hold them three or four times and maybe force a turnover or two, I mean, 14 and two, 15 and one, basically whenever the chiefs decide they want to start resting their starters, they, uh, they look like the best team in football again. And uh, early yeah, you Super mentioned Bowl that favorite. first drive by the Ravens, it kind of seemed like after the chiefs were able to stop them down in the red zone on those three runs in a row, the Ravens kind of gave up on running the ball. I believe it was after that first drive, the Ravens only ran the ball 15 more times the entire game, including quarterback runs. And I, I don't, I know you went down seven to three or six to three. I believe that was the one, but missed that extra point. Um, you just, you can't afford to give up on your normal offense like that, especially against a team like the chiefs, because going into this, the game, I think one of the keys was they had to continue to run the ball no matter what because you don't want to give Mahomes all of those chances to score. 
And I was even saying during the game when um, Duvernay takes the 93-yard kick return to the house, from a defensive perspective, that's not a good thing. I mean, your defense gets no break against the against the Chiefs. You'd almost rather him have not scored, giving your uh, defense a couple more breaks because time of possession is really important. You have the ball for, in theory, 15 seconds, which doesn't even count as time as possession time at special teams. Um, and then you're just giving the ball right back to Patrick Mahomes. So he's hot. He basically scored a touchdown, sat down on the bench for three minutes, and then goes right back out there. And that puts you, from a defensive perspective, that puts you in a horrible position. On the scoreboard, it looks like the game's closer, but the defensive players and D linemen could tell you it's like, I'd rather sit out another couple of plays, maybe have our offense run six or seven and punch it, than be running right back out there for a full drive against the right. what, the and best offense. Especially coming league. off giving up a touchdown, it doesn't give the defense a chance to make any adjustments. You know, you barely have time to even talk to your guys if you're the D coordinator. Yeah, one thing I noticed during the game, and I pointed it out a lot, uh, obviously, you know, the Chiefs offense is special, but uh, Andy Reid really draws up some super, super unique formations. I mean, he had a triple stack option one time off of right off of where you would normally have like your tight end off off to the left side of the line. And it's like the concept that came out of it isn't like a super insane concept. It looked like a flood concept, but I have not seen a team run a triple stack in a straight line where where they ran the route combination they did. So it's like not so much the concepts are all brand new because after a while you can't reinvent the wheel, but the formations that the Chiefs use and the amount of fakes and the motions, it's just eye candy a lot of time, and it makes it so you can't run full speed because you might think the play is going to the left, and all of a sudden it's a little dump-off pass to the fullback thrown underhand to the right. And it's just awesome to see that they uh, – do all that. They show you all this different stuff, and it uh, makes you think. And you don't want to be thinking out there playing defense. You want to run fast. Yeah, I do want to correct you on one thing there. I I think we need to give credit where credit is due. I think the guy who's scheming up a lot of this stuff is the offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I uh, I like Bieniemy. I mean, he's uh he's looking like he's going to be the next head head coach canning day of uh, coming from the OC position. Um, yeah, he uh, is definitely the fire that you need on the sideline when Andy Reid's uh, managing the game, keeping his eyes on it. And they definitely pointed that out and cut it to a, a few times during the game. It's uh, just him over there yelling at the skilled, skilled guys like, hey, get it together. And that's what you need sometimes. It doesn't always need to come from the head coach. Sometimes it's the uh, coordinator or the position group coach that needs to light a fire under him. Yeah, and one last point on this game. Uh, I Something I thought that was really funny was Patrick Mahomes' uh, post-game interview, they mentioned that his mother didn't like that the broadcast was calling him Pat Mahomes because that's his dad's name, and they preferred that they call him Patrick. And essentially what he's he said was, is that Pat Mahomes on the field? No, this is Patrick. <laughs> this is Patrick. <laughs> Uh, and then the next next marquee game to talk about was uh, the Sunday night game. Obviously, uh, I'll start us off as a Saints fan. I'm going into that game. Uh, that was a big one. I mean, the Packers, you really wanted to see what Drew would look like after all the smoke about him being limited in the air. Um, on paper, it was a really good game for him um, in practicality. Uh, I mean, not his best game by a long shot, but uh, if he's playing like that this year, he's still a borderline top 10 quarterback. 
Um, no, no interceptions. Him and uh, him and Aaron Rodgers had the same amount of completions over ten yards. For people who want to go check that, and then um, obviously he's just not airing it out. He is all, in the last seven years has been bottom five in a dot average depth of target, which is what people like to point to for him not having arm strength. But that's just how Sean Payton's drawn up the offense. A lot of rack, a lot of use of running backs. I mean, the Saints have had a pass-catching back since like 2007, 2008 when they drafted Reggie Bush. Then they transitioned to Sproles, and now they have AK. You just kind of – it's how the scheme's drawn up, but it's really overblown because Drew broke 40, and all of a sudden he's no longer – he's no longer has it. And that's just what people are saying. So it's a good game. I was happy – to see how it looks. Obviously not happy with the result, but the Packers were the better team. Yeah, I think the two things I would say is that to your point, Sean Payton needs to design some of these throws down the field. You know, you just have to test the defense a couple times, even if you tell Drew Brees, you know, Hey, we're going to do this kind of miss. Just don't throw a pick. We just have to make them think that we're going to throw it down there. And and then to the same point, Drew Brees, still a great quarterback. In my opinion, he's just maybe the best, quote-unquote, game manager in the league. Yeah, and there's uh, nothing wrong with being the best at one thing. I mean, he is – if, if game manager is synonymous with taking, quote-unquote, easy passes and being accurate – there's nobody better than him. He is the most accurate quarterback in a single season and most court accurate quarterback ever. So that's what it means. Just, hey, lead the NFL in touchdowns, completion percentage all time. We'll take that going into year, I don't know, 17, 18. Once you hit 40, if you're still playing, no matter your position in the NFL, you're doing something right. Yeah, just long term, I, I hope the defense is able to carry them a little bit more because that's going to be yeah. that's going to be the pivotal point if – Drew Brees isn't able to necessarily make as many explosive plays as he used to. Yeah. One thing before we transition on over to the next game, um, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones both looked amazing. Um, Aaron Rodgers definitely looks like he's out with a vengeance this year and has a personally cracked back into my top five this year. I know the last two or three years, there's always been a couple games where you've been able to be like, Hey, what's going on? And it is early in the season. So that's why uh, it's right now you want to give him all those roses because you'd hate to see him fall off. But uh, right now Aaron Rodgers is looking like he's uh, coming back for that uh, that mantle of being a top two, top three quarterback, yeah. which is going to be really hard with the young talent we just talked about in the last game. But uh, he's on a mission, and that's scary for the rest right. of the Aaron NFC. Aaron Rodgers, before we saw Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers was the guy we looked at and said, this is maybe the most talented guy playing quarterback that we've ever seen. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, amongst the football cognoscenti, it's 2011-2012 uh, Aaron Rodgers is considered arguably the best single season ever. Not that he was the best at, best ever, but that season, from a quarterback perspective, is, you know, top two, top one in some circles. Yeah, let's talk a little Hawks-Cowboys now. Uh, the Cowboys were able to get a little bit of a lead, and then – the Seahawks came back. Uh, we saw my favorite part of, of that game was the redemption arc for DK Metcalf. He had that almost touchdown where he just completely got behind the defense and then 
decided he wanted to jog into the end zone uh, and lost the ball, which resulted in a touchback. But then he was able to make up for that when he caught the game when he touched it. Yeah, that's crucial. I mean, before the season, I really – before knowing they were going to let Russ cook, I really um, – I'm not a Seahawks fan by any means, but uh, being in the area we are, we talk to a lot of Seahawks fans. And wasn't even really buying the hype. I did believe DK has a pretty solid chance to finish the season as a top eight, top 12 quarter or wide receiver. And uh, knowing it right now, he's got all the physicals, and uh, him and uh, Tyler Lockett are both essentially number one wide receivers. So on any given night, you could have a Tyler Lockett, three touchdowns in the first half, but – DK could be right there with another one that should be two. And uh, Russ is leaving the game with four or five touchdowns now. And uh, when they let Russ cook, that's scary for the rest of the league because Russ is another one of those guys who's uh, in that top five quarterback conversation. I mean, my personal opinion, I think he's probably only quarterback better than him right now is Pat Mahomes. And I'm not even a huge Russ fan like that. But uh, it's great to see them let Russ cook. Yeah, there's no denying that he's one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the league right now. The only thing I'll say is I I think the rushing attack is going to have to step it up a little bit more because I'm not sure that, you know, this crazy, crazy level of production is sustainable for a whole season from Russ. Uh, and, you know, I'd say that about any quarterback. It's pretty hard to throw five or five touchdowns a game. But – they are going to have a setback because Chris Carson looks like he could be out this week. He had that knee sprain. Uh, did you think that was a dirty play by that defensive lineman there? You know, when you really highlight any tackle like that, you could say yes. Um, I think just from actually playing the playing some football, you know, I think that was, wasn't an accident. Um, he, some people who try to defend him, you know, it's going to go both ways. But uh, you don't tuck and roll below the waist. He wasn't holding the waist. He was essentially holding the quad knee area and rolling unnecessarily. Um, you easily have 80, 90 pounds on him, your defensive tackle. Uh, it seemed very, very interesting as a tackle and um, definitely could have been avoided. They could have brought him down without that extra gator roll on his leg. So, Hill, not a great look for such a young player, but um, hopefully it doesn't impact his com- career to the point where after he's done with his contract, they're like, you're a dirty player, nobody wants you, because we've seen that happen to players in the past. Yeah, I I thought there was just some extra rolling there, you know, a half mm-hmm. roll or something like that makes sense. Uh, you know, those big guys, they may be round, but they don't roll like that, you know, without some kind of effort. Yeah. <laughs> So the last game I want to get to is the Rams versus Bills. And this, to me, seemed almost like a continuation of the coming out party for Josh Allen and his kind of progression into becoming one of those top 10 quarterbacks. Yeah, we talked about this during the summer, and I mean – I uh, sometimes it's hard to take a step back and be like, hey, Drew Brees is falling slowly out of the top 10. But Josh Allen was one of those guys where I was like, I see all the pieces. I don't I, I really see Josh Allen being a guy this year. I, I went out of my way to take him into my three fantasy leagues and uh, hasn't upset me yet. Um, he comes into the season, doesn't have a single game over 300 passing yards, starts the season off with three of those. 
uh, comes in, has, I don't think he had a game over maybe three passing touchdowns, and now he's had a game with five total touchdowns and I think another one with four. Um, he's second in the league right now behind only Dak Prescott in passing yards, and he's passing for 71 completion percentage. Um, I know last year people pointed out his completion percentage and uh, just baseline stats, no next level. It's like, why is this man ha- was only passing for, I think, sub 60%? Then you go and look into it next level. Um, he had the most designed throwaway passes in the league with something like 7 or 8%, which really made him look like an above-average passer last year. If you just looked at the completion percentage and you see barely 60 from an NFL quarterback, you get concerned. But the addition of Stefan Diggs um, taking away some of those intermediate to deep throws at 15 to 25 range and making those more like 10 to 15 yard throws to, to Smokey Brown and Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs, like I already mentioned, his stats this year look amazing. They really do. And he's off to a great start. Um, you would say that the competition level hasn't been great. The schedule maker is real nice to him week one and two, but uh, you got a legit playoff team in week three and uh, definitely outplayed Jared Goff in that game and uh, definitely looked like the best player on the field at times. Yeah, I think what it was for me was that I believe this year or you know maybe last year if he did finish over 60%, it, it was actually the first time in his – entire quarterbacking career that he was able to do that, which is why, you know, I wasn't buying the hype. He didn't pass for 60% completion at Wyoming. And I believe he was under 60% in high school, which, you know, regardless of the level to me, I know football is a really dependent sport. You're very dependent on, on the abilities of the players around you. But, you know, if you're an NFL talent, I thought he would have been transcending that a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. I mean, if you told me at Wyoming he was sub 60%, I believe it. I'm not much of a college guy, but uh, he had all the tools last year. He looked solid. Um, and a lot of people, like they like to do, if you're only looking at the quarterback as a passer, which I don't think is fair to quarterbacks anymore when, you know, eight of the top 10 quarterbacks are also getting a couple hundred rushing yards a season. His uh, numbers on the ground definitely helped. I mean, he only passed for 20 touchdowns last year, which isn't amazing. And, yeah, it was 58.8%. But uh, you come out of a season where you make the playoffs, you know, the best team in the division is starting to fall apart. You have players opt out. Their GOAT quarterback leaves. Um, the Bills saw that, and they were aggressive. They uh, made a first – they traded a first-round pick in what was supposed to be the best wide receiving class in years, and they go and take an established uh, top 10, top 15 talent a wide receiver hasn't showed in a few years and then all of a sudden Stefan Diggs looks amazing um Josh Allen looks solid if he uh, has another 300 plus yard game this season it's going to be hard to not look at him as like one of those early candidates for some uh, end of the year awards for sure yeah and I really love that approach in any sport actually that the Bills took you mentioned that the draft had was was one of the best receiving classes that we've had, or at least it's projected to be. But being able to turn that first-round pick instead of taking a young guy who may or may not be good, may or may not be ready on day one, you trade that for a player who you know is going to be good day one. So you essentially traded the pick, you know, for someone older, but – you ended up getting what you hope the pick is going to be in the first place. So I never think that's a bad bargain there. No. 
The Sorry. the only thing I'll say for Josh Allen is that he does still have a tendency to hold on to the ball a little bit longer than he needs to. Um, I'm not sure if the the Rams were giving him a little bit of a different look in the secondary um, in the second half when they began that comeback. Um, but you saw, like, in the second half, the Rams were able to bring pressure. Aaron Donald really got loose, um, had a couple sacks, forced a fumble. Uh, so I think that would be the next step in Josh Allen's career is uh, maybe he needs even more to still be thinking about throwing the ball away. Uh, maybe he's overcompensating from last year, um, but just a little bit less hero ball where he's holding on to that and having these big defensive linemen come after him. Yeah, and regarding their comeback last week, it's kind of – it's like obviously like in the NFL, you can always look at two or three plays and two or three missed calls that decide a season sometimes. Um, But uh, Josh Allen's quote-unquote interception was clearly, in my opinion, clearly caught by his wide receiver and wrestled away from him on the ground or as they were going to the ground by his quarterback or by the corner. Obviously, I'm, I like to lean a little bit towards the DB side, but uh, that wasn't an interception, and that, I mean, that allowed the Rams to come back down and score, and then instead of, you know, the Bills pushing it to almost a 30-point game, it starts to go the other way. Luckily, they did close it in the end, and um, they demonstrated they have some poise this year, which is awesome, but uh, I agree. He could uh, let it go a little quicker. Um, the, the Rams were their first real test of the season, and, I mean, Two division wins already, starting out undefeated with uh, just, you know, four division games to go. You're in a good position to uh, be in the playoffs again this year and maybe even win the division. So we'll see how that looks going forward. Yeah, even as a Rams fan, I I agree with you there on that call. Uh, there definitely was offensive PI before, uh, you know, the catch interception. But, yeah, that, that seemed like a clear case of, not even simultaneous catch. It, the the receiver clearly had the catch first, and as they're going to the ground, the, the DB was able to get in there and n- not even really wrestle it away. That's why I say it's almost a, a simultaneous catch because they both had position on the ground, but the receiver obviously had the ball first. And it, you know, as people who grew up in Washington – you can't help but think of that play with the Packers in the playoffs. And we saw how the rule was interpreted there. and That was a lot closer to being a simultaneous catch. And they called it for the offense. So to see it go the other way on a play like that was kind of crazy to me. Yeah. And the crazy thing too, is like, I'm, to my knowledge and understanding, I mean, all turnovers and all scores are automatically reviewed. So they, had somebody up in the booth or in Secaucus look at that and they're like, nope, this is what we're going with. And so it's real. That's one thing that was interesting. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I like Josh Allen this year. I'll keep banging the hype until it, uh, until it looks like he's uh, fading. But uh, right now he's one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the AFC. And uh, until things change, uh, I'm riding the hype. Yeah. So let's move on now. Uh, We're going to start sort of a recurring segment here on the show, Sprinkle's Top 5 list. And this week, we're going to do your top five running backs. So uh, let's go ahead and roll through those. All right. So I'll start at five. And last year, 
it was hard for me to take a step back and say like this dude was awesome so i have a little honorary mention tie at five i have a uh, christian mccaffrey and derrick henry tied at fifth right now um so far the season uh christian mccaffrey didn't play last game but he's still tied for first in the league with four touchdowns um he was looking solid he uh the, the games he did play, the Panthers were in them, but they didn't win, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Uh, Derrick Henry, the Titans are 3-0, which is a good thing, obviously. Um, he is not running as hard as he was last year at the end of last season. But just like last year, he had, I want to say, over 60% of his rushing yards in the second half of the season. And uh, he also had a few more games last year where they had lead, so he was just chucking the clock out and this year we're not seeing it as much but he is leading the league in rushing yards he's a true two down back like you're not seeing Derrick Henry catch more than maybe 30 balls this whole season which even that seems a little high um so that's why I have at five Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry uh at four I got Dalvin Cook um Dalvin Cook right now is third in the league in rushing yards with 294 he's also tied in first with uh four touchdowns but he started out the season strong with a good showing versus a division rival in the Packers. Um, I like Dalvin Cook as a three-down back. He's a solid pass catcher, and he's also one of the better runners in the league right now. And coming in at number three, uh, the other guy that he faced in that week one matchup, Aaron Jones. I really like Aaron Jones this year. Um, week one, the Packers let Aaron Rodgers cook, and then week two, they let Aaron Jones cook. And I think he had like three rushing touchdowns or three all-purpose touchdowns. He's a monster. He's another true three-down back. I know he might have led the league in rushing touchdowns last year. Um, he's off to another good start to be in that conversation at the end of the season. Um, but uh, he's one of those guys, as a running back, you trust to get you touchdowns. You trust to finish the play. You trust him to put a shoulder down. And, uh, yeah, um, at two – he didn't have a great showing last week, and uh, honestly, it kind of may have impacted the game, but I'm still a huge fan of him until he really falls off, um, and that's Zeke Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he eats. He is one of those guys you like to watch him run in open field because you don't know if he's going to put the shoulder down or if he's going to try to leapfrog somebody and uh, make a huge play. Um, Zeke is one of those guys, since he's come in the league, has uh, always been at the tops of the – scrimmage yards to end the season and uh, he's definitely somebody you'd expect to see at the end of the season in that top 10 rushing yards and then top 10 amongst running backs and receiving yards I wouldn't be surprised to see him you know lead all running backs and all-purpose touchdowns this year right now he's got three rushing touchdowns so he's a little bit behind the lead but a couple games against the Washington football team the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants will sure give him plenty of opportunity to score this year and my number one running back in the league, yes, that's why we started with running backs. I have Alvin Kamara. So right now on paper, Alvin doesn't look like he's having the rushing season some of these other guys I mentioned are having. Um, right now, I believe he has 10 all-purpose touchdowns, um, which is crazy. That currently leads the league amongst non-quarterbacks. He has only – he's averaging right under five yards a carry. He only has 30 – carry so far this season but one over 40 yards and two of which have been over 20 yards um alvin camaro right now is fourth in the league in receiving yard reception combo so in terms of like ppr fantasy stats he would be the fourth wide receiver and he plays running back obviously that's something that saints have needed the last two weeks without their number one wide receiver but uh if you have a running back you can catch 
basically as good as anybody besides like uh, DeAndre Hopkins. That's the type of running back you want. Um, he does it through the air. He does it on the ground. He's uh, average five catches a game every year. He's uh, the type of guy you want in a modern offense, especially when your quarterback doesn't throw the ball that far down the field. So Alvin Kamara right now is my number one running back in the league. Little bias. Um, he had a down year last year, but uh, I like to see him back in that type, top five group. Um, I put Christian McCaffrey at five because of that same reason. Injuries don't take away your talent that much, and we expect to see CMC back, and he'll still be one of those top five, top ten running back guys, regardless of what he looks like. So that's my top five running backs of, after three weeks in the NFL season. Yeah, I think there's a heavy emphasis on the running backs now that can both run and catch the ball, especially, you know, we have a lot of pass-heavy offenses in the league. So having guys that can play all three downs, uh, catch passes, run block, is crucial in today's league. Yeah, there's a lot of great running backs in the league. Um, A nice influx of young talent, guys like Clyde, with the Clyde Edwards, Elaire with the Chiefs, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb. I mean, a lot of the best running backs are all in their first three, four years. So we always see a big turnover at the top and at the bottom. Um, there's plenty of talent at the running back position this year. Uh, I really like this, and I could see any of these guys in the top five right now ending the season outside the top ten. And I could see anybody right now who's in that top ten range finishing at number one because it's still too early to tell. But uh, we have an idea of who's getting their touches, and we have an idea of uh, who right now is getting some touches, but in the future could really be a top-five guy. Yeah, I think Alaire is that guy where just because of the sheer number of weapons on that Chiefs offense, he's going to rack up yards like it's nobody's business. So I I do expect him to either be finishing the league, kind of thought of as a top-five to ten running back, or going into next year, I think. He'll definitely be in that conversation. Yeah, it was a fairly consensus even the second he was drafted. Uh, running back on the Chiefs, he I think you could go look after the fact. Fantasy's already started, but most people most drafts had him as a top as a ninth through twelfth pick. So right on the end of that first round, and I mean, so far he's paying out. He's uh, about seventh in the league in rushing yards, and I know he's getting a couple of receptions. And uh, I drafted him in a few leagues as well, just because. The hype's there, the potential for them to be up a lot early and him just running out the clock. Got to like those odds with a Patrick Mahomes-led offense. For sure. So before we get out of here for this week, let's rattle through some game predictions going into week four. So tonight, Thursday night football, we've got Broncos versus Jets. Who you got? Uh, I got the Broncos, and let me tell you why. The Broncos are starting a second year in drafted quarterback, Brett Ripien. I probably said that incorrect. He is the nephew of a former um, Super Bowl champion. But Brett is also from the east side of Washington, about 15 minutes away from where I'm staying right now. And in this, he went to high school in the town you're staying in right now. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the Broncos. I actually know some coaches who had the chance to coach him and know him personally. So uh, – Got a few people who I'll be touching base with when that game gets started tonight saying, hey, what do you like about him in high school? What do you like about him in college? So that's that's interesting now, that personal connection. So, yeah, I got the Broncos over the Jets tonight. Yeah, I've got the Broncos as well. Uh, I think their defense is better. The Jets' offense is 
big pile of doo-doo, even with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Sam Darnold still looks like he has no idea what he's doing. Uh, the coach has no idea what he's doing. That's a big problem. So, not very optimistic about the Jets. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Chiefs, Patriots, who you got? I got the Chiefs. I really like Cam Newton, what he's done these first couple weeks, and I've always been a huge Cam fan. Um, But I I think it's a little too early for Bill Belichick to get the Chiefs. Um, I'd like to see this matchup again in January. So, I got the Chiefs tonight. Me as well. Uh, it's pretty hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes in any game, uh, especially when they're rolling like they are. And I think the Patriots' defensive opt-outs are going to loom large in this game. Moving on, we got Saints-Lions. We can go quick on this one. I got the Saints. Um, the Lions were cornered last week, and they really needed that win. I don't think the Lions – I don't think Matt Patricia even finishes the season, let alone the next three weeks. We can talk about that in three weeks, though, when he gets fired. Yeah, I'm right with you there. I've got the Saints as well. And speaking of that coaching job for the Lions, I think that would be a great landing spot for uh, Eric Bieniemy. I wish the Lions had drafted Tua, and then it would be an even better landing spot, I think, for me to to get Bieniemy. But I've definitely got the Saints yeah. tonight. Jags, Bengals. What do you think about I that? I am excited for that matchup. I really, especially early in the season, before teams are completely eliminated. I mean, even on paper, we kind of know some of these going threes are already out. Um, the Jags, Bengals, that's going to be a close one. I really think so. Um, the Bengals are starting to look kind of good. Uh, T. Higgins, you know, one of those amazing rookie – uh, wide receivers played the most snaps last week, so he has a chance to do that again. But Joe Burrow looks good. He's an LSU guy, but that offensive line probably one of the worst in the league. Um, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars in a close one. I'm going to take the Bengals here. I'm kind of buying this Joe Burrow hype, and frankly, I hate Washington State University, so <laughs> I will never, ever root for Gardner. Valid point. Go dogs. Facts. Chargers. Oh, that'll be a good one. Um, Right now, obviously, I think the Buccaneers are going to win the game. I would like to see the Chargers pull something out. Um, I think those AFC West teams, besides the Chiefs, are fairly, fairly average to bad this year. Obviously, the Saints lost to the Raiders uh, last last week now, but – I don't see too many of those AFC uh, West teams beating too many NFC South teams this year, so I'm going to take the Buccaneers. I'm going to take the Chargers in kind of a surprise win. What I'm looking for there in order for that to happen is that Chargers defensive front is, you know, something else. And I think if they're able to get pressure on Brady with four, then he's going to have a hard time – with that, uh, despite having a lot of weapons and, you know, obviously as an older quarterback, he's not very mobile. So I think their offense is going to be really limited and not really able to push the ball down the field because that pass rush is going to be in Brady's face. One last thing game. before we move on from that game. The Chargers lost Chris Harris this week, their star corner signing this offseason. I'd really like to see them hold up. But uh, like I said, I think the Bucks got it. I would love to see an upset, though. Uh, see, you could be right then. The That loss combined with Dermot, 
uh, Derwin James, that could be a deal. Tom Brady, surgeon, man. Hate to see it. Yeah. Uh, Vikings. So that's Texas. the game. That game right there. It's hard to look at it on paper. Um, the Texans got screwed with their schedule, playing the three other best teams in the AFC right off the bat. If those if those losses are spread out in the season, and we're looking at this game, and it's like they're five and three or something, which they could be in five or six weeks. But uh, starting out in three really hurts your momentum. Starting out zero and four, your season's over. Even with that seventh playoff spot. I don't see any team going nine and three the last twelve. So loser of that game's done for the season essentially. Um, Deshaun Watson, I, I have so much faith in him as a team, as a record label, and as a man. Um, see what he's done so far without D Hop. Obviously, they've uh, gone zero and three, but uh, I think the Texans get this one in a close one in Minnesota or in Houston. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I think that's tough for the Texans that. You know, that's just terrible scheduling in terms of luck for them. You're right. You know, they could very well be the fourth best team in the AFC. Uh, but when you play the best three teams in the first three weeks, that's just going to set you up for failure there. Uh, the Vikings are a good team. Uh, I, I expect them to compete with the Packers to win their division. Yeah, just on faith in DeAndre – Excuse me, Deshaun Watson. I'm gonna have to pick the Texans. A little little that. segue. I know not so much football guy. The Vikings have already lost the Packers. I think the Packers are undefeated, and the Vikings are three and zero. There's already a four game difference there. It's not even the fourth week. I hate the Vikings right now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no Vikings. Uh, I think loser of this game, you can write them off for the season. Zero and four is not something you can come back from easily enough, no matter how talented you are. Just so few games in the NFL. So few games. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, we got Hawks versus Dolphins. Seattle. Next. <laughs> yeah, I got Seattle there as well. No competition. Uh, Steelers. Titans. Oh, that'll be that a be real one. good one. Oh, man, that might be. Oh, excuse me. That game is actually not happening. Oh, that is correct. That's right. Um, I'm seeing that that might be pushed back to a Monday, yeah. a Tuesday, or a Thursday of next week's season, technically. Um, yeah. That's... Yeah, I believe they moved it to further down the road. There was talks of having it uh, Sunday night or Monday or Tuesday, but I believe they're pushing it back several weeks. I'm not sure if we have an official date for that, but the game is definitely next. Yeah, well, week. since it's not happening this week, I won't make a prediction on it. I'll just say that was probably going to be the best game of the week. Yeah, I'm with you. I was I was really excited for that. The Steelers look like they're having a bounce back year. Uh, the Titans are big. Ben look like, it's a shame. big. Ben's looking like it's 2017 again. Uh, he he also played a role in. He's creeping back in that top seven, top eight range as a quarterback pretty quickly. He looks real good. Yeah, for sure. So we got Browns versus Cowboys. That one, I know we're getting that one. That's going to be a good game. Um, from a from a fan perspective, I always want the AFC to beat the NFC team. Um, in this case, I think I think it'll be a close one. I think the Cowboys will pull it off. Um, just like last week, if they don't give up a safety and start missing PATs, 
you know, they keep an extra possession and yada, yada, yada. That's hindsight. But I think the Cowboys are one of those bona fide playoff teams right now. Their division looks soft. Um, so their record doesn't need to be that great this early, but, uh, the Browns have something to prove in a really tough, probably the toughest division in the AFC, but, um, I think the Cowboys pull it off in a close one. Yeah, I got the Cowboys by seven to 10. Um, I think they're going to try to get up early. Like you said, their division is soft, but I, I think they, they're going to view this one as one of the games they have to have. Uh, one of the games that's extremely winnable for them, and I think they're going to come yeah. out strong. And uh, I think this one will really game. come down to the D D uh, D line of Dallas is because um, I know the Browns the last couple games haven't been thrown at much. Um, they have two high level running backs. Uh, Kareem Hunt maybe four years ago was a top three, top four type running back, had some issues, and now he's just a second option on a really strong run game behind uh, Nick Chubb out there in Cleveland. So we'll just see if Cleveland can run it, but I think the Cowboys get it in a close one. I would like to see the upset though. Yeah. So next we've got Cardinals versus. Uh, I got the Cardinals all over in that one. I think that that could be the type of game where on paper, the score looks close, but to people watching, I think it'll be an early Cardinals are handling it the whole game. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Cardinals bounced back from their game last week. Uh, I think Larry Fitzgerald only had one catch uh, the whole game. I don't see that happening against the Panthers. Um, I think you're right. It may look close, but I think the Cardinals are going to dominate that game. Moving on, we've got the Indianapolis Colts versus the surprisingly undefeated That'll be an interesting one. I think I want to see the Colts get in a close one, but that Bears defense is looking great. And Nick Foles is uh, one of those guys who can bounce between quality game manager and I will carry you through the playoffs. So, I mean, until that, until we see him collapse, I think Nick Foles carries them to a couple more wins. And um, I think, I think the Bears get the Colts. Yeah, I've got the Bears in this one as well. Uh, I think the move to Nick Foles is going to benefit them a lot. Uh, we've seen how even, you know, regardless of performance, Nick Foles it seems like one of those guys that can invigorate a team, whether he's the starter or he comes off the bench in relief. You know, he's used to this reliever role. And uh, I think in his first start, they're going to get that win for him. We got another one that looks like it should be a blowout, but we'll see Ravens versus the uh, Ravens. Obviously, that's not really too hard of a guess. I mean, they're going to be playing in D.C., so that might help Washington's football team a little bit. But I think Chase Young was a little banged up and had to leave last week. So I don't know if their D-line's amazing, but is does any D-line have the speed to chase down Lamar all game? I don't think they do, and that Ravens offensive line is also solid. So, especially if Chase Young is beat up, I think the Ravens are going to handle it. I would have to agree with you. And next we have two teams that are a little bit exceeding expectations so far, the Bills and the Uh, I think that's going to be a good matchup. Like I said, I'm so in on this Josh Allen hype. I mean – 
at this point, I expect him to score three touchdowns. I expect him to run a little bit. Um, he has all the weapons. The Raiders lost a game that they probably really, really thought they were going to win last week. But uh, I got I got the Bills in a close one. I have the Bills as well. I think coming off of that game last week against my Rams, uh, the Bills are going to keep riding the momentum. Josh Allen is looking like, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league so far as we discussed. And I think they're going to have the Raiders number. Then we have Eagles versus 49ers. That's going to be a sloppy one. I'm excited for it to be a Sunday night game. Um, before the season started, it probably was going to be a good one. Now after injuries and uh, what the Eagles are looking like, um, it's going to be an okay Sunday night game. The last couple weeks have been really good, our primetime games, Mondays and Sunday nights, and some of these Thursday nights. But um, early in the season, I expect the Niners to win this game. The Eagles need it, but I expect the Niners to win. Yeah, I'm going to take the Eagles. I definitely think it's a must-win game for them in this scenario, uh, You know, especially with all the injuries the Niners have. Garoppolo Does is not going to be the Niners? Uh, you know, <laughs> only if you think he's worse than Nick. Nick Mullins has three fifty last week. Nick Mullins, <laughs> Nick Mullins. Yeah, you know that I think is the X factor is Kyle Shanahan is still an offensive genius, so I can definitely see the Niners winning. I'm mostly picking the Eagles here just on the strength of they yeah. have to win this game. The game is in, in San Francisco, so it is a West Coast game in terms of, like, time zone stuff, which makes a bigger difference when West goes to East. Kyle Shanahan did last week have Nick Mullins throw for 36 times. Granted, it was against the Giants, but he said, I don't care if you're a backup or uh, you're at least an average starter, so go out here and air it out. So that'll be interesting against that Philly secondary Yeah, and to end the week, Monday Night Football, Falcons. I think the Packers Packers. will continue their dominance from last week. It'll be another one of those games where the score looks like it's close because Atlanta has that offensive ability. Um, Atlanta is the epitome of choke jobs in super recent history, but going back to the Super Bowl as well, it's uh, as a Saints fan, it's awesome to see how they're losing these games. Um, I don't think the Packers are going to lose at home on primetime. Aaron Rodgers showed us last week he's he's there. Matt Ryan's a guy, but um, even if they had a 20-point lead with two minutes left in the game, I still don't think the Falcons will win that type of game. They've showed us so far this season, so uh, go Pack. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers takes this one in primetime. Uh, Falcons, you know, they're blowing leads like crazy. I got the Packers At by least. two scores in that one. And a, and a little bit of breaking news before we get out of here. Doc Rivers just kind of nullifies all of our discussion we had to start the day, and he has reached an agreement to become the head coach oh, of the yeah. Philadelphia 76ers. So con- congratulations to That's Doc That's awesome Rivers to hear, Doc. Let's see what he does next year in the East. Yeah, that <laughs> instantly makes – the Sixers just as intriguing as they were at the start of this year, which is to say high (laughs) expectations. So we'll see if they can live up to them this year after, you know, what was deemed. I guess we will see this year. 
All right. So thank you, Sprinkle, for joining me here on episode two of the Sprinkly Sports Podcast. Uh, it was good talking to you. Talk 